If I could tell you just one thing is an event industry podcast presented by me, Mel Noakes. And me, Max Fellows. It's a podcast from Elevate where industry leaders write a letter to their younger selves and consider what wise words of advice they would give themselves now if only they could. Our discussion is based on this letter. Be prepared for a refreshingly honest conversation and wise words of wisdom. So we are delighted to welcome Rosie to the podcast today. From a career that almost began as an officer in the Royal Air Force to president of Havas Play, Rosie Holden's journey has been nothing less than spectacular. Rosie's passion to do something creative has seen her work with enormous global brands, including Adidas and Vans, to holding senior leadership roles in some of the creative industry's biggest agencies. Rosie's ethos is to say yes to everything, keep learning every day, Stay kind and empathetic, be useful, and most of all, remember that the world is run by people that turn up. We're glad she's turned up today. <laughs> Welcome to the sofa. Thank you very God, much. God, I feel like Holly from that's <laughs> not even a cultural <laughs> reference anymore, is it? I'm glad you've turned up today as well. Hey? I know, I know, but it wasn't that far to come, I've got to be honest, today. But you know. <laughs> Thank you very much for inviting me. It was quite the quite the um interesting exercise that you asked me to do in fact so well normally we ask about this so carry on then how was the (laughs) how was the exercise and and this conversation being based around the letter that you've written to your younger self you picked the age of 21 how was that experience uh, what, being 21 and writing the letter? Well, let's go with both. <laughs> <laughs> being 21, not sure I can remember that far back, but it was a lot of fun, I do believe. Um, no, writing the letter. Well, actually, when you, when I first got the brief, I thought, we well, always think when someone asks you questions about yourself and under the banner of, you know, you're being asked because you're quite successful. You, I don't know. I think it's always the first reaction to think, oh, I don't know. I don't, oh, I just, I just got here. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Can I really go back and, you know, think about what that journey was? So it was really interesting to, to think about those moments that have led up to now and what, what genuinely what I would say, I feel sorry for my 21 year old self, like most older women do, because you look back and think, God, just enjoy, you are thin and you are gorgeous and <laughs> you're so beautiful and attractive and it's all going shit from here. So, you know, you, you, <laughs> You do think that, but um, but no, it was it was a uh, it was interesting to think back to that time because I, d- I don't think you do too much to be quite honest. You know, you might look back to your forties or your thirties, but very rarely do you tend to look back to twenty one. So yeah, it was enjoyable. Thanks, thanks for making me do that. <laughs> for for those that don't know you, tell us a bit about yourself, the role that you currently have, and a bit about Rosie. Right. Well, uh, I am president which is, you know, the same title as CEO, basically, but uh, sounds sounds either grander or more ridiculous, depending who you are, um, of Have Us Play, which is the kind of sports, culture and entertainment agency within the Have Us network. So Have Us is a big global agent, you know, agency network, and I run the UK sport, culture, entertainment arm of that, essentially. And I've been there for, in fact, I've just been coming up to my fifth year. I joined there just about this time five years ago. I was doing the odd day there to kind of get into, um, you know, what the organisation was like and what my role was going to be and what my task was going to be. So, yeah, it's quite a nice point that, isn't it? Sort of five, five and ten, the big numbers. So, yeah, that's what I do now. And it's great. <laughs> We've managed to survive a pandemic in amongst that five years as well. Yes, I suppose year two wasn't perhaps the year I quite thought it was going to be, like many people. First year, the first year was um, I was brought in to actually run an agency called Cake, which has a very big place in the industry. In the yeah, creative many industry, friends and say. peers have been have cut their teeth at Cake. Oh my God! When we well, so this year Cake was transformed into Have Us Play along with a department um, that was uh, that, that had a different set of core services. We put something out on LinkedIn, which was obviously you know, oh Rosie Holden, CEO of Cake, now promoted to president of Have Us Play, and you know, wasn't Cake brilliant? The outpouring of grief was like quite something for Cake because it did have. In fact, I joined when it was twenty. So I think me and Mark Whelan, who was one of the guys that founded it as well, who's still at Havas, me and Wheels sort of made it, being PR people originally were like, 25 years, perfect, we did 25 years. And we put this thing about, you know, 25 years of cake. And I mean, it was extraordinary, the hundreds of people that 
uh, put comments on LinkedIn that, you know, asked me if we were doing a party and all that type of thing. But people have gone on to, you know, amazing careers. I mean, it really wasn't, you know, an agency that was that likes to, well, it was, it was, you know, first of its kind in really taking, creating brand entertainment, entertainment for brands, entertainment through brands. You know, it was, it was really fantastic. So I was brought in five years ago to run that. It had kind of lost its way a little bit. In fact, when I was asked about the job, I remember saying, Cake, oh my God, they were so cool. I'd been working brand side at Vans and they had the Rizzler account and I and and I ended up doing some like, you know, brand brand stuff with Rizzler and Vans. And I remember thinking, oh, that's you know, they're really, really cool. Anyway, then, then I was called about the job and I kind of said, Oh, are they still going? You know, I just they just hadn't had any volume in the marketplace. Mm. They were still obviously doing great work. And when I arrived, I was like, oh My God, you've been doing all this great work, but no one knows about it. So the first year was really about, you know, what's the right expression? Finding cake is rightful place, you know, in the agency world and, and out there in the big bad world. And yeah, turning up the volume, giving it a bit more prominence, going back out, you know, creating award winning work, making sure everyone, you know, doing all that type of stuff, making sure everyone's happy. So that was, we got to the end of 2019 and we were like, this is great. And I had this amazing moment, and I will find the picture somewhere, of all of the staff having, you know, this amazing Christmas party and them all holding me up while I was lying down on top of them. It was really brilliant. And they were all really happy, which was great. And then, of course, 2020 came and it was like, oh, the year two is meant to be, you know, this sort of, <laughs> you know, keep going north type thing. But, um, but yeah, I mean, look, everyone experienced it and, you know, it was fine. We did nothing, actually, nothing terrible happened. I think in the network, they were all saying, oh, God, Cake's going to be decimated because, you know, we were a rights holder partnership and experiential agency, first and foremost. Mm. So, you know, some of our biggest clients activating at BAFTA, Glastonbury, Wembley, you know, through um, football partnerships like the Home Nations Partnership, and none of that was happening. But actually, we just pivoted to digital, did loads of, made loads of content. It was absolutely brilliant, didn't lose a penny, and finished the year again getting strong and then bounced back like everyone else did. So, um, so I can't remember why I was telling you all that now, but started at Cake, transformed into play. It was amazing. And yeah, I absolutely love it. It's great. <laughs> I love how you sort of casually go, oh yeah, we just pivoted to digital. Like that's a really normal thing that <laughs> yeah. to do. And actually one of the things I picked up through the letter and obviously knowing you and looking unabashedly stalking you through LinkedIn and stuff in prep for this was so many transitions you've made. You've obviously, you cut your teeth in a client world at Vans yes. and Adidas and the like. You've come over to agency you yourself talk about being in PR, but now you run a multifaceted, multidiscipline agency yes. because it d defines so many of your passions. How have you found navigating those sorts of changes? Because a lot of people question that jump between client and brand. I I'd argue you've gone the harder way to go from client to agency. Yeah. But you, you've navigated so many changes and become the head of a multidiscipline agency doing award-winning work. So how's that journey been? Well, I think that there's a few answers to that. One is that I think, and for any, anyone that knows me, know I have pretty much, you know, boundless energy until it gets to about like 10.30 p.m. Then I just have to go to bed. <laughs> so I do, I love new things and, um, you know, embracing new um, skills, new people, uh, new technological developments, new innovations, blah, 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 all that stuff. So I think in terms of what I've done, if I look back, yes, they're, they're all, you know, they're in the same world, but they are very, very different. But I've always, I've, I've probably um, seeked, seeked, you know, looked out for that because I never wanted to do just one thing. I think that the brand and agency thing is quite interesting isn't it because brands love it. yeah you're right like brands love it you know it when you're a bit more senior and you've had an agency experience and what you can bring to a brand is is something quite special but I see yeah, I started out as a junior within a brand I mean it was quite phenomenal when I went to an agency and I went to MNC Saatchi Sport and Entertainment not just any agency MNC Saatchi yeah. Yes. yeah 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 <laughs> and Jamie and Steve who still run that are still good uh, contacts of mine good friend of mine and, and absolutely one of my champions you know I remember going for the interview and I think do you know what? It's quite a funny story. I was in, I was in, so I was at Vans. I've been there for about eight years and I was thinking, do you know what? I can't get a cabbage clock before I'm 30. This is just, uh, this is just really bad. This is embarrassing. I really should look for a new job. But I loved it at Vans. I mean, what's not to love? You know, incredible brand. I was, you know, working, I did a, a, loads of different things there as well. I worked in like customer service. I worked in independent sales. Then I ended up in like marketing and PR function, working with all the athlete teams, like all the snowboarders and the skaters and stuff. So it was amazing. But I just thought I need to do something proper. Plus, I bought a house. I bought my first flat. So I suddenly thought, shit, I need to earn some money as well. 
So I knew nothing about agency world because at Vans then, we'd never even used an agency. Everything was done in-house. And I was actually visiting my cousin who is also works in PR, but he works in local government. So really, really the opposite side of what I've ever done. And I'd gone to stay with him in, in Burnley. And he said to me, he had like a copy of PR week when lying around and I was sort of leafing through it. And I saw this job and it, it said, Emma Sarchi, um, I think it said senior account manager. I had no idea what all the levels were for Reebok, someone who's got skateboarding experience. And I, I sort of, you know, and I sort of cut it out and then thought about it for about a week. And I thought, yeah, you know what, I should go for this. There can't be that many people that know, you know, enough about like um, sort of sneaker culture, sneaker lifestyle and skateboarding. So, um, so I did apply for it, yeah, and then had my interview with, with Steve. I, yeah, I remember going and having a glass of water in the atrium. I don't know if they're still in Golden Square. And my hands were shaking so much. I was so nervous because I'd never been in into an office so corporate. You know, my first jobs were in like recording studios and things. It was just like, oh, my God. But Steve was lovely, put me at ease. And, and obviously, I ended up getting the job, which was brilliant. But... Um, but yeah, so 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 went there and then and then ended up going back. Um, then I would have gone back. Yeah, then I went to Adidas after that. So I went back brand side. And I was a bit more senior, and that's when they start to go, oh, like agency. You know, they really appreciate this type, really different type of thinking and rigor, perhaps the stuff that becomes second nature when you're at, when you're at agency. Mm-hmm. But perhaps now is a different. You know, it's going back a very long time. But but perhaps then then not so much. So um, so yeah, that was absolutely brilliant. I, I mean, that was a fantastic job. That we've lived. I, I, I worked at the head office in Germany in Herzo, which I don't know if you've ever been to. Yeah, it's like the middle of nowhere, right? And I used to work there Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So in Monday and Friday, I'd work in London. Tuesday morning, I'd get up at like half four, five, go to Stansted, jump on a flight, get to Nuremberg, get a cab, be at my desk by 10, work till Thursday, and then do the same, fly back on a Thursday night and be back in London to work on, on, on the Friday. Because I, they, they just it was a weird contract, I suppose. I don't think they do that now. I think they're just happy to have the right talent. But then after that, and then after, and I loved it. It was absolutely fantastic experience. You know, it was working in the global brand team on, the, on global brand comms. And I would, I think, I, do you know what? It came a point and they said, do you want, you know, do you want another permanent role here? Because these, be, these have been contract work. But I just met my, my still my now husband. And I think which is obviously a miracle for anybody. And with it being in the middle of nowhere, and he's just said, look, you know, I can't relocate. And I didn't do it for him, by the way. I want to point that out. But I wasn't ready to, you know, I was just in the wrong life stage so I'd been working in the London office yeah Mondays and Fridays and got to know the UK team an amazing woman called Sarah Gower who's only recently retired actually she uh, said to me look we've got this little category called originals don't know if you know it but you know it's more fashion you know I've been working the sport performance team it's a bit more of a fashion category do you you know we're going to invest in it a bit more we've got London 2012 coming up so the focus will be you know, on our sport categories, but actually originals, we need someone who's, who understands sports well, but also comes from more of a fashion brand perspective. And I'd done heaps by then, you know, cross like Nike and Umbro and then obviously the van stuff. And, um, and she said, you could, you know, what do you want to do with it? So then I chose to take it as a piece of business to a then fledgling agency, John Doe. Um, and then so went back to agency side, but I didn't think I was going to, like I loved, I can really see, you know, I love doing brand side work because you, you, you know, ultimately a decision's up to you and you are the champion, you mm. are the owner of that brand at agency, which Steve Martin used to love for me from MNC because I used to drive me to distraction. It took me about a year to get relax into it. You can only counsel and advise and recommend. And if your client turns around and says, all right, I think that's great, but actually, can you do this thing that I know you consider a terrible idea, but could you just do it? You have to, you know, you have to do it. <laughs> sure, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. I can't think of anything more I'd like to do. Yeah, exactly. It just took me a while to, to have that response and attitude, I've got to say. But uh, but I did get there. I did get there in the end, and now I see it differently. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's there's there's so much, in, you know, both both sides are so fascinating. Um, and 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 hopefully I brought something you know fresh and new to each of those roles that perhaps they might not have not have had before. I love it. I've 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 been working with a brilliant woman recently who's also worked brand and agency side, and she can really bring something different to you know m- many of my staff that that have just worked through you know and all brilliant agencies. It's not a criticism at all, but I think if you can expose yourself to an in-house role and an agency role, both both you know whatever you do next is going to mm. benefit. Basically. I think there's that diversity, isn't it? Because we yeah. see a lot of people, especially the more junior elevators that come through and people that are looking to sort of start their career, that think it has to be quite linear. Yeah. Yeah. So being a, like understanding that there can be that fluidity and flexibility and there's value in that diversity of experience is key. 100%. But I know, you, you've got it as well, 
haven't yeah, you? Yeah, I, I did the same thing. I, but I went from agency side to client side. And whilst for the right role, I might have gone back to agency side because I think there's so much value in agency. I definitely think it's a much harder transition to go from client to brands, which yeah. is why I was curious. But I know Max wants to ask you about the Huddersfield years and the RAF. Well, I was, I was, I was, I was going to say... So boring with my career history which, there, Max. Well, I think last time we met, we had a speaking stick, didn't we? The two of us, because we <laughs> yeah. are short of chat. Um, I was going to say, which did you prefer? Or which side, that brand or agency side? Which uh, appeals to you more, perhaps? That is an impossible question to answer. No, Be- it's not. It is, cool. because both have real I love that they're very very different in many ways and the last in-house role I had was at Adidas and I loved it I loved that brand I loved being part of a global team I loved being able to really affect uh, creative decisions and creative output alongside you know the brand itself and so on and so forth but I love the cut and thrust of agency I love being you know by then I'd done I'd been in a lot of footwear brands you know I'd done like Vans and Reebok then Nike and then Addy and what I loved then about agency is your exposure to multiple multiple Mm. categories and their different business challenges and you know for me the work and the creative output has always been of the utmost importance but interestingly, if you'd said to me 10 years ago, would, you know, my, my client set now, Jaguar Land Rover, say, oh, yeah, I love the work that we do on that. But if you'd said to me, oh, you're going to be doing like cars and network stuff 10 years ago, I'd have been like, are you kidding me? I only work for like really cool streetwear brands. Like, you know, so, so it, depending what you're doing for them would be the mm. answer, you know, but I, it's impossible because I, I couldn't choose between the two. I think there's also something in what you've said there as well that really resonates with me, which is, I think sometimes we can put blockers up for ourselves of I would never do that. But sometimes the right brief or the right combination of people or the right time in your career, actually, some of those doors that you think you should keep shut, actually, if you peek them open, there's some exciting stuff behind it. 100%. I mean, I know this is about when I look back to when I was 21, but if I'd look, you know, if I'd thought about that when I'd have been in my mid 30s, you know, I might be in a different place to now because I think I was. I, you know, I didn't see that. I was really like, I don't know, I was going to say naive, but just a bit stupid or, or not, you know, I, I should have been more um, open-minded. And the probably jobs I was appro- approached about that I thought, oh, I'm not going to do that. That's so deeply uncool. And, I, you know, and really now I'd be like, this was amazing. Why do you know? They, actually, the challenges here and the freedom you've got or the, the, the budget scale, for example, you know, you'd, you'd have really, really loved doing that. So with the, with the letter then, we asked you to write that letter to your younger self and, and you started at that age of 21 and very much this RAF piece and we'll get onto that into a moment. But I can I want... imagine you was a fighter pilot, by the way. I think you'd have been Well, awesome. I applied to be a navigator, actually. Not a pilot, but I did want to be air crew. So there you go. Yeah, thank you. Good. Great minds, <laughs> great minds. <laughs> I was going to say, even at that point, did you have any aspirations to be in the kind of role you're in now? Or was there any kind of... I suppose this kind of North Star aspect of going, yeah, I'd love to run this massive global agency or, or otherwise and things. Is that? I didn't even know about that world. I didn't, if you'd asked me, I mean, um, I, I didn't know what an agency was. I didn't know about what, what roles there could be. Mm. I didn't know. And, and do you know, I'm going to be kind, you know, where I, I did think that the careers advice, careers advice, at school was actually really, really good. And I went to a, a you know local high school in a small Yorkshire village. Actually, I did my work experience in the press office at Opera North because I loved music and um, and I loved singing. And, and and then, so it's quite funny because in a way I did end up doing what, you know, what they put me towards <laughs> many, many ways, you know. But I didn't, I didn't know about that. I didn't know it was an option. And, and I think that, I mean, it's so funny because I haven't talked about the Air Force thing for so many years, but obviously it was reminded me of what I was doing when I was 21. But because I just graduated and I didn't know what to do and I spent my third year thinking, I think I'll join the Air Force. But you graduated with politics? A politics, yes. A politics degree, which which I come across quite a lot with my staff. And, and what a lot of my agencies, a lot of people, so politics and economics or, you know, politics and philosophy. I don't if you know could how just pop down the road to Downing Street, that would be great. Yeah. I, think I might need you, Rosie. <laughs> well, you know, I can, I can certainly, you know, if anyone's listening, I can give them my number. I can definitely <laughs> sort that one out. <laughs> um, but I did, I, I, I was going to say to you, did I, th- rather than running an agency, did I want to be in charge? Yes, probably. You know, I, 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 I know I, I, made the point about when I'd 
it was officer selection. And I think it was very clear within a very short space of time that I neither I was right for what, they, you know, I wasn't what they were looking for and they weren't what I, what I was looking for. And the first thing was this sort of realisation of just being told what to do all the time and that was never going to suit me. But, but you know, and I'd always had creative pastimes and came from a very sort of creative bohemian background. So but I didn't know about the creative industries. You know, I didn't know mm. that was a path you could choose. Mm. And, you know, when I did my A-levels, when I went to uni, I didn't really think about that at all. And and you didn't have, you know, you didn't have to then, really. Mm. You know, now it's very, very different, isn't it? And sadly, in many, many ways about, and, and this kind of commercialization of that and what students have to think about what they're going to be doing, how they're going to finance it. I did grants, you know, I, I did a grant in my first or second year coming from a single parent family. So, you know, I was actually given money to pay for my rent, which, you know, is unheard of now. But anyway, I wish I'd known about that, but I didn't know about like, I don't know, the WPP groups grad scheme like that just mm. wasn't uh, whether that I mean it must have existed back then but I I wouldn't have known about anything like that. You you talk about your upbringing then and and obviously the creativity plays a huge part in your letter to yourself about where that steers you in some of these. Mary, you made the comment about the kind of the changing roles things like that. Talk to me about a bohemian then upbringing and you <laughs> as a yeah. What what did that look like? Little rising in Huddersfield. Yeah, and all of this creativity then that that you had as a. <laughs> child teen and and who are you like then well um well I, I moved to my mum relocated to Yorkshire when I was about nine I think and she worked she worked actually at uh, she was a lecturer and she worked at a college called Bretton Hall which was like the arts college part of Leeds University in fact I remember her taking me to you know like the third year's closing show when I was probably about 10 and Mark Thomas the comedian was oh, wow. the, the um, you know the sort of star of the show there's quite a few people I've met since then um, that, that went to Bretton Hall it's, it's not it's Yorkshire Sculpture Park now very very beautiful highly recommend it but it was part of Leeds University so, so we went there and my mum was in the kind of um, English literature and cultural studies uh, department actually so, you know, and, she, and she'd had me uh, relatively young, so I was a very young mum. And, you know, we were around that sort of environment where there were lots of creative people um, who were interested in lots of creative things. So that was, you know, that was just a normality for me, I think. And then and then that would have been, oh, you're going to show my age now, but, um, you know, as it was coming up, when I was doing my GCSEs, as it was coming up to, like, the 1990, or it teased, the, the 1990, well, you know, 1989, 1990 became a very interesting place to be in that area of the north. You know, you had Manchester kicking off, you had the Hacienda opening, you know, I think I went, I, I found my Stone Roses ticket the other week, which was amazing, to, when I went to Spike Island, you know, I threw myself with enthusiasm and gusto into <laughs> going to see every Mancunian band that I possibly could in either in Manchester or in Leeds. Um, you know, and I remember one of my best friends, Lucy, passed her driving test when we were 17 and and that was it, you know, it was just freedom. So we were going off to clubs and gigs all the time. So that was another part of creativity. And, and, and I, I think that being a part of something, a cultural moment as exciting as that is always going to have an impact on you in some respect. And, you know, it was moving into the 90s. It was coming out of the Thatcherism of the late 80s. Um, the area that I grew up in when I've, we'd first moved to Yorkshire was just outside Barnsley. My next door neighbours were part of the miners' strike. You know, there was deep poverty. But, you know, you had this, in, there was a different feeling in the 90s and particularly in the North. It wasn't as depressing as it used to be, you know. So I think there was, you know, there was all of that. When I look back at my, my school, there's an incredible amount of people in the creative arts my best friend became a Hollywood actress she's very well known my one of my ex-boyfriends you can't drop that and not say <laughs> I can I can I can <laughs> but um but you know and then and then my ex-boyfriend was in a, in a band in fact um a girl I did my GCSE drama with won a, a music prize she's a very well-known folk singer so it's a real I think you know it's a lot to do with the area but mm. it definitely the spirit of its time as well maybe I don't know that's interesting given the then the success that's come out of it and, and equally then you taking almost steering away from that to go politics RAF and was it was that just you trying to find your way there or was it a case of actually I'm gonna get some I don't know what firmer grounding in a kind of education side of things and then go and have a, a punt at I think that I think I was being a bit. Uh, what was it, uh, what was that program called? It was um, Adina and Patsy? I think Ab I Fab. Ab Fab. You know, I mean, my mum used to always laugh about it. I think I was being a bit saffy. I think I was like, right, I'm going to go and do something. I, I did have a side that was very intellectual, 
and enjoyed intellectual debate and learning and um, so on and so forth. So I think there was always a bit of, and as we'd say in the creative, a bit of a tension between the two, you know. <laughs> I always wanted to go out and have fun and all that type of stuff. But equally, you know, I was really interested in academia. And so, so I, th- I think I was a bit torn. So I don't know, God knows what my thought process was back then. I think that you were... The path was you do your A-levels and go to uni. It was less important, unless you were going to to do, you know, a vacation, like law or whatever. I think you just went and did something, mm. you know, and then you moved to London. Like, it was just what you did. It was, there was less pro- real thought process around it. But yeah, I can't tell you why. Yeah, I didn't just go and, mind, you know, run away to Manchester and... Uh, join a band. Know, join a band, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, was the tribute band, which we were curious about. <laughs> Max was going to try and get you to sing the intro. Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> yeah that's, that was a long time ago. <laughs> Well, let's talk about your industriousness, because getting into the industry, you you mentioned um, in the letter as well, like going through The Guardian and cutting out yeah. sort of potential jobs and this real sort of industriousness mm. and willingness to kind of put yourself into different places. And you talk about working in music studios and what have you, but your first real entry and foray into this space was not the sort of big, high, powerful job you expected to be you were the PA and office manager right yes I was I was well the first ever job actually so when I'd finished uni and decided that obviously clearly the RF was not going to be the place where I spent my life career I um, used to get the media guardian on a Monday obviously pre-internet I mean there was that's where jobs were published mm-hmm. I don't know what we did from Tuesday to Sunday but not much probably I imagine <laughs> you just wait for it to come out and then and then I'd, I'd sort of open it and literally go through anything that I thought I could apply for and then you know you get your CV and put it in the post so actually the first job I ever had, which was was not long either, uh, uh, was was in a, was in a recording studio, and it was like one of those residential recording studios where bands go to make albums and things mm. like that. And I thought, yeah, I thought it was going to be really really cool, but it just turned out all my mates had like moved to central London, and this was miles out in Surrey and all that type of thing. So I moved. So I thought, right, you know, okay, this isn't working. Handed my notice after six months. Moved in with my then boyfriend in sort of Wimbledon ish area, and found myself a new job in the area, and went to Office Angels in Wimbledon and looked for a job and she said well we've got this job it's at this brand called Vans and I was like yes I know Vans you know don't don't obviously but it was PA to the director then and it was a distributorship so they, he actually distributed Vans, Eastpac and there was another there's another outdoor brand and he was one of the main investors in hypercolor t-shirts I don't know if anyone's old enough to remember that but they were like me can we have white t-shirts that change color when you sweated and this is something <laughs> it was designed to be handprints but the unfortunate reality was yeah if you were slightly warm yeah 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 it, it, it was would, unforgiving you know, it would come out. so yeah it was <laughs> hang on so you're walking down the road massive sweat patches yeah and just to highlight that fact yeah what they do is go different colors and not even like a, a light different color it was like bright neon colors yes yeah neon colors yeah <laughs> It wasn't subtle, was it? It wasn't subtle. Yeah. I must find out who's got the distributorship and look into that and bring it back. I'd love <laughs> yeah. to do that. A little sideline. So, so, oh, wait, so, 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 so I was like, okay, this is great. This is a cool brand, but also it's local because obviously, you know, the salaries were very low those days. And I was like, cool, this is in Wandsworth. I can actually walk to work. So, um, so I did that. So I just got a job locally, but you know, it was lucky because it was this uh, amazing brand, which at the time, like I said, was distributed. So it wasn't owned by Vans and it was probably, I remember when we, we hit our first half a million quid of revenue. And by the time I left, it was like, you know, over a a lot more than that. And it sold to VF Corporation. Um, And, you know, now it's huge, but it was, you know, vans were only sold via a very small network of independent skate shops or small streetwear Mm. shops. And then it was while I was there over the next nine years that, you know, then they, you know, then we'll get, we grew the brand. And then, of course, they move into into more of the UK um, high street retail chain. But, no, I mean, look, it was pure laziness, probably the first. I thought, this is pretty cool. And I could walk to work. That's amazing. So just rocked up there. And, and, and though, and though. Being a PA and office manager, you know, you, you kind of learn everything about the business. And, you, you know, you, you're party to, to all of this confidential information which is like really bad for me because then anyone who knows me would be like, God, don't tell her anything. Or she needs to cut the glasses of wine. She'll tell you anything. But so no, I was far, you know, in a professional way, it's, you know, it's, it's completely different. But it really exposes you, you know, and it was a small business mm. essentially. 
so that was a really fascinating process. And then being there for nine years, seeing that you went through all of the transformations. So it was brought out by Vans, first of all, which is when I became Rosie, not Rose. And uh, that was when the email was invented because I had to come up with an email. And I was like, what, what is this email? And and I think I put Rose Holden at Vans.com and it came back as Rosie Holden and I couldn't be asked to change it. So then everyone just started calling me Rosie. And I thought, ah, that's fine. I'm not bothered. That's all right. But yeah, went through lots of transformations, through business transformation and then all these roles I was telling you about as well so so yeah and then your your step into PR yes well that's where it started so I think I'd been there for it was around 2003 when my boss who I'm from then still very good friends with and bless him I think he still thinks that he's responsible for my entire career success actually (laughs) so um he said to me I said look Danny I'm getting a bit bored and I'd done all these you know these sales jobs of customer service and 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 he said you know what he said, you know what I think you'd be really good at is PR. I said, you love chatting, you love chatting to, you know, you love the product, you love telling stories, you know, i.e. like embellishing stories, I think he means, or, you know. And he said, you know, really know what that means. And I said, well, not really. And he said, right. He said, we we were using this PR agency, but I'm going to get rid of them and you could do it all. And I was like, okay, cool. He said, maybe just call the owner and see what she used to do. So we literally built it from scratch, you know, and... And um, we did have a, a good marketing director as well, who was who was clearly able to, to guide me in the right direction. But yes, that was uh, PR manager for the UK from 2003 was really the role that then probably, you know, set me on my path to where I am now. You mentioned in your letter, uh, and whether it was prior to Vans or after, there being a couple of twists and turns, but equally perhaps a couple of wrong moves or, or I say mistakes, but... The, the course wasn't quite as clear set. What what were those twists and turns and equally what were the kind of key lessons that you learned from those that steered then this kind of track to success? I, there's probably been loads, so I'll try and stick to like maybe just one or two key ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think if I think probably, you know, everyone makes mistakes. Everyone leaves, I think, I th- you know, everyone, everyone I know who's successful has had a job that they wish they hadn't taken or that they'd made, they'd left something that they wish they hadn't left. And and I think that's a really healthy thing to do. I, I think if you, t- I think I've done that twice probably in my career and you won't find them anywhere on LinkedIn or on my CV, but I'm sure the people, if anyone, you know, know who they are, but, you know, chosen to leave something and then gone somewhere that wasn't, wasn't right. And I think that's absolutely a very healthy mistake to make and something that builds your resilience and sharpens your focus. Because actually, it's just as powerful to know what you don't like doing as it is. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, I didn't know what I was doing when I was 21. I didn't know I wanted to do X. But gradually through different processes, you learn what you don't want to do. And that, that mm. kind of, you know, helps you channel where you need to get to as well. I call it the magpie effect. It's yeah. something quite shiny that you see and you think actually yes. that could be the next one. You go in there and then suddenly realise... Christ, there is absolutely nothing yeah. going on here in the right way, and it's complete smoke and mirrors to an extent. It's so true. It's so true. That's two of the instances I can think of, and I, yeah, I probably did it, you know, maybe three times actually. Now I'm thinking about it, but um, I, I do. Th- I think that's fine. Don't you know? People shouldn't worry about those mm. type of mistakes. I actually think it's um, a perfectly healthy, and and maybe even more than that, you know, gives you gives you an edge, gives you a different point of mm. view on on things to people who perhaps never, you know, all those people that never make mistakes yeah. or you know stay have the perfect job forever. So yeah, I think it is that, but it, it just it helps you a really think about yourself and what you do want. B, you know. A bit of, I don't know, a bit of hubris maybe, you know, perhaps, perhaps a chance to step back and think, you know, why was I uh, attracted by that beautiful shiny object over there and was that really close to my values? Mm. Does, does, does Now I'm here, is that sitting well with me? So, you know, a little bit of self-examination. Mm. And then I think you're able to sit back and go, right, but do you know what? I've still got loads to give. What do I want? I'm going to go out there and find the next thing. Um, so I think... You know, I've I've got a ten year old daughter, and the most important thing to, for me, to me, for her at the moment, is building resilience. You know, if something doesn't go your way, just you've got to keep going. Put your hand back up, and just do another thing. And 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 I think, you know, adults should think like that as well. Really, I think yeah. we're, we're we're conditioned to think that you don't make those mistakes as you get older, but you do, and that's all right. Just just keep building on it. You know, yeah. a lot of what we hear and the incredible guests that we have on here is. It's about how you kind of fell forward and equally seeing it's not as failure as a learning and things like that. And yeah. I, I think we've seen that there's so much pressure and pretense on making a mistake as being this life ending type matter where in actual fact it's a learning. And, and the point that you made about those perhaps wrong moves, but actually teaching you more. And 
definitely when I've made, I've been magpied, he's, he's gone in there and <laughs> generally how I talk about this, the magpie effect. Should we make it a thing? Should we make we it like, we're getting into the vernacular. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've been magpied. You've been magpied. Like, oh, not again. Oh, magpies. Yeah. But in, in that. Like the ick. No one will be talking about the ick anymore. They'll be talking about when you got magpies. We all want a piece of this, by the way. Yeah, yeah, this is yeah. It. When I the trademark happens. Not yet. Yeah, not yet. There is that that premise that actually you learn almost more from how not to do things than it is being told how to do things in the right way, perhaps. And I think that learning is worth almost kind of 10 times some, you know, to some 100%. extent. It doesn't feel like it, does mm. it, at the time? And it's easy, perhaps it's easier for for me to sit here as an older, older than I was, obviously, like mm. everyone, but an older person as well, by the way, and think, oh, that's okay. You know, it doesn't feel it at the time, but but you've just got to build that inner steel, as I tell a lot mm. of my staff, and and build that resilience because you will learn more from it. And it's a bit like... I don't know, now, you know, you talk about work and you say, God, you know, you finish a campaign, it might be the worst thing you've ever done. Like the client was really difficult. The, you know, it was really painful. People were crying and there was really late nights and, you know, it was all very dramatic. And then a year later, someone's going, oh, that, that was my favourite bit of work. That was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> when we're in the trenches together. Yeah, late yeah, night yeah. Pizzas yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, similar sort of thing, isn't it? <laughs> with, with that then and, and some of the, the moves and obviously going through those different roles early on and, and trying to find a place has there been someone from a a guiding mentoring type perspective that you've had along the way or or how or who has played that kind of role or influenced your kind of career in that respect i fear there's been i've never had one mentor but i kind of wish i had i've got to be honest i think you know i think it would be great but i've been so lucky to work have um, a series of them really and people that have been so interesting and so useful and caring about what I did next. So, and that's always been very important to me in the role that I've taken. You know, is there that person that I can look up to and learn from? So, yeah, I've, I feel I've had a, a set of people that have really helped guide me. Plus, do you know what? I am, <laughs> I am such a, um, I have, I don't have an ego, you know, I'll put my hand up if I don't know something, I'll ask, I'll ask the, what the question. And I will always go to someone for, with for counsel. You know, when if I have an opportunity, I can think of several examples now where I've gone to someone and said, "This has just come to me. What do you think?" I might call Steve Martin out of the blue from MNC, or I spoke to Raoul, who, who runs Exposure. For you know, I worked up for a short time a few years ago. Or Dan, the guy I was talking about, who gave me the, my first break at Vans in PR. Mm. I was actually texting with him last Friday because it was the Sport Business Awards. It was down the road from his house. You know, and I've been for lunch with him and asked him. Questions. I would always ask for advice and mm. seek counsel and guidance. And and that's that's probably been a, a huge help obviously mm. is that self-awareness then that you have them reached out rather yeah. than waiting for that help or that yeah, guidance 100 we talk about that a lot actually within elevate this sense of the more senior you get the more answers you have and you, you know it all and actually you need to keep learning and growing and yeah and making sure you have that group of people around you that you can go to for advice or counsel or pick their brains on it becomes almost more important as you get more senior to have that kind of input, I'd say. A hundred percent. I think that's really true. And I think I'm really lucky enough that I have, I'm surrounded by these brilliant people um, that, that, that I work with at play, you know, they're my colleagues who say they work for me, but that I, I will, you know, they're the experts and I will always ask their expert opinion. And and isn't that exciting that, you know, you could go and ask all these brilliant people like the answers to questions. Mm. Like, how fantastic. You know, that's just more interesting than typing it into Google, but you know, more more, <laughs> more knowledge. So yeah, I think I think that's really, really important. And I'm curious because you've done similar things in my to, to me in my career, and there's some things that you said that really sparked an interest, which, you know, at such a young age to have a role that you started from scratch as, you know, here you go head of PR in the UK for Vans, crack on. <laughs> um, how did you navigate designing a role from scratch and then an offering from scratch? Because those are two different things. And how much of that do you think has shaped the way that you've approached some of the challenges? You know, director of a big agency, going into something like Cake that has such history. How much of that has been informed by those early experiences? It's a really good question. And I've never actually thought about it that way. I think that I have, when I have talked about that experience... When I talk about that time at Vans, what I know that I got from it was that it was a small business mm. and I had the freedom and the independence to, to make decisions with guidance, but you could do what you wanted to do and you could fail and that was okay. 
so that it probably had a huge impact actually on how I've come into businesses later or been given briefs around you know to re-energize a business or or to make decisions around yeah around, you know around creating an exciting new offer I mean you know I suppose the thing the time at Vans it was an independent business and I was very close to all the people in it because we were a tiny office. Like, you know, you could you just learn everything on the hoof. But equally, it was, you had that freedom because it was a brand that everybody loved. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a brand on its ass or you didn't know what, you know, it was, we, we were trying to build something really quickly, I suppose, to build, you know, an incredible commercial operation as quickly as possible. So, yeah, actually, I think that probably had an incredible positive impact on my on my later uh, roles, which, I've, yeah, I've probably never thought about it that way before, to be honest. Yeah, again, I think for so many of our listeners that are so early on, sometimes having that experimental mindset and being unafraid and unencumbered by what's gone before and just trying new stuff and yeah, and the I guess the muscle memory that that builds and the opportunity to think about things is really mm. valuable. So instead of being afraid of those opportunities, mm. sort of grabbing them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I went to John Doe and I took that piece of Adidas business there, um, absolutely incredible CEO there, Rachel Bell, incredible woman. There are lots of uh, graduates from the Rachel Bell School of, um, um, just her school really, out in the industry and in the marketplace have all done brilliantly as well. But it's a similar mindset, you know, she's run independent businesses. It was very much like, I will teach you how to run a, how to run a business and I'll teach you how to turn what you call your intuition into good business acumen. Mm. You know, I think it's, 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 it, it is the two. I do still strongly believe that, you know, some people can... Um, have a good commercial sense about it but you know you can actually build on that as well mm. and so interestingly you know I, I mean I only left there what seven, seven years ago maybe now but taking that sort of spirit still and that sort of thinking into a big agency network was was super um, mm. valuable as well. I find it fascinating that you know, CEO, president of a large agency group is, is to someone in their earlier years or their career to kind of go, right, that's what I'm after and, and, and try and kind of plot this pathway to getting there. Is there any kind of advice that you would give or, you know, the key moments we thought, actually, this is one of those moments that really meant that that kind of stepping stone towards that goal I think in terms of advice I mean I'd be amazed I'd be I'd love to meet someone who says yeah I want to be a CEO of a creative agency well, <laughs> yeah. like how does it, I'm trying to I'd, kind of because I'd love to have that clarity how it happens yeah yeah, and, yeah 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 whether you have had that clarity or it quite literally is playing the cards in front of you and and actually then it's it's only because of that that, that the next kind of hand is is played a slightly different or it's is, is provided a different opportunity wow that's an interesting mix isn't it I think that if your ambition is to be CEO of a creative agency, then you need to have a blend of two things. One is passion for the highest quality creative output and want to do your very best, which means, and with that comes surrounding yourself with brilliant talent, having a, a workplace that means that, you know, brilliant talent want to be there and work with you and share your vision and goal and all that type of thing. And the other is, is, is running a business. I get asked to help out with other businesses now in different in different industries and and categories and and what's interesting is obviously a lot of that is transferable and I feel lucky that I get to run a business that is you know everything I've ever wanted in a, in a, in a business. You know, it's it's around create. You know, the cre it's it's creative at its heart, but it's around sport. It's around music. It's around entertainment. It's like all the strands of my life that have been pulled into, you know, one beautiful place. But equally, I could have ended up, you know, CEO running a I don't know a paint company, and I might not have felt quite as passionate about about that. Or you know, but you 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 can still. Yeah, I think it needs to be the blend of the two. Find something you're incredibly passionate about, and then learn how to run mm. a business. And inevitably, and be a good person. But you know, <laughs> but inevitably that will that will work for you. And you've just got to work really hard mm. at it. You've always had that though that element of running your own business, being your own boss. I is think that it is. Been... You know, that's a really good point. I bring that up quite a lot, don't I? And and I think that. Yeah, I, that's quite, in, well, I don't know, it, 
it's important to me. But then people would say, well, why do you work for Big Agency Network then? But I, I'm given that free. You know, one of the reasons I love working at Havas is that I feel I have that freedom, but also the support of a network and the scale and, and mm. the heft, which is really what I wanted from a big a big role. But I think that, yeah, my, my personality type, like going back to, I don't never like being told what to do. You know, I want to be in charge. I want to make my own decisions because I think I'm right. You know, <laughs> I said that to, to my head of strategy recently. I was like, the thing is, you know, I just think I'm right about everything. That's like, it's a good position to start with, right? Um, and, and obviously, of quite often the case, I'm not. But, um, but yeah, I think I, I feel to have an independent mindset and to feel that a business is yours will always set you on the right path. I once read, who is that woman called? Karen Brady. <clears throat> Someone gave me, one of my cousins gave me her biography. And Lord Sugar, old apprentice. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yes, yeah. And I read. Or Baroness. Baroness Brady. Brady Baroness Brady with beautiful hair. Yeah, absolutely. I, every time I see her, I think, I bet she has a blow dry every morning, which is like something I aspire to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure she <laughs> does. a nice comment that actually her husband will go out and fill up her car every evening that she has a late night in order to start her off the day in the right way. That is a strong woman, hey, there's behind, a strong man. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Right, man. I love that. I absolutely love that. But she she wrote, you know, about her, it was a, I mean, it's a really quick read. If anyone wants to read it, you could probably do it in a night. Um, but the, one of the comments that struck me was that she she knew, she knew the pint of milk, she, had, she knew how much the, the cost of a pint of milk was, is at that time, for her organisation. So if someone said, you know, she's running, I think it was at West Ham, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, it had its challenges. And she went in there and was like, you don't even know how much you spend on milk a week. But she knew that. And so that really stayed with me. It was like, be as forensic as possible. And then the other thing that Rachel taught me was you treat every penny as your own. Yeah. And and I do do that. And I've had a couple of experiences of where I've helped agencies rebalance their commercial success, should we say. And that is usually down to me thinking, you know, every, pa every pound... Every penny, like, well, there's no, no such things as pennies anymore, are there? But we'll, we'll start with pounds. But, you know, that it's yours. You're not spending mm. someone else's mm. money. And it makes you uh, much more responsible around what you're doing, um, and quite rightly. You use, I was going to call her Brady, like she's a mate, you know, Brady. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah. In that, oh, Karen. But she, she <laughs> talked about the, the challenge of, I'm not going to say kind of infiltrating, but essentially kind of earning a place on that board at West Ham, mm. entirely male, male-dominated, things like that. Have you found as you've come through the kind of the ranks into your role now as CEO that there has ever been that kind of challenge being a female or, or I know that there's I've seen our industry you know the creative industry that still quite a male dominated kind of top tier and things like that have you ever found that challenge and equally have you overcome that that is a very big question that's probably a whole topic in itself <laughs> there's two ways I can answer that one is that I feel I've been lucky enough to be surrounded by uh, supportive teams which include a lot of you know men I mean I've mentioned a few of them you know th this evening and championed my uh, championed me and my chosen career and my skills and experience. So personally, I don't feel I've been held back in my career choice and where I've got to the role I do now. Do I think that, that that's about me and where I've got to in my role? I think there are still, you know, huge mountains to climb around the female experience in the workplace, how you can still feel and, and it's so hard to articulate, but excluded from certain conversations or just meetings or, you know, it's, it's, it, that's still a reality. Um, I take that very seriously at Havas. I'm part of the Women of Havas group and, you know, where we want to further equity in the workplace, but also improve, you know, a fem the female experience um, at work. So, so yeah, look, I, I, I feel very lucky that I've always had um, brilliant forward-thinking, non-sexist, non-misogynist men in my life and my career that have, that I, I that, so I haven't felt, felt held, held back, but I recognise that, that that is still a reality and, and every woman has the responsibility to, um, to make that a thing of the past for every other woman, not just your own personal experience. Mm. Just bowing down to Rosie here. For <laughs> <laughs> um, and obviously as someone that's cultivated and created a, a career that's based on learning and growing you're the president of have us play like what's next what are the things that you're looking at what are you, what are the things that you're hoping to grow and learn and 
where where are you still excited I guess about stuff because most people would think well this is the ceiling where else do you go but are you still learning and growing are there still things out there that you're like oh I want to have a crack at that oh definitely definitely do you know what I'm going to say I was 50 very recently and my first thought I turned around to someone at work and said oh, but I've still got so much to do I haven't done anything yet I was like this is only the like literally the beginning and I know you know and then I spoke to someone recently who was thinking about they were going oh I have time to wind down soon I was like no way I do so I still feel very excited and of of course you know going back to the people that I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by the every day something's new and every day something's exciting and of course you know in in this particular age that we're living in you know things are changing at pace aren't they you know almost like the age of enlightenment that was and and so it's exciting to be a part of that and what that will look like I love being part of a big organization um I what's exciting about have us play is it is a global network of there's 17 have us plays across the globe so I'm working with them and and I think that you know that's a very exciting potential um future for 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 anyone who throws themselves into uh you know working hard at have play no but <laughs> there's you know there's there's lots of opportunities still and so I think from a day-to-day -day basis I love getting up and going into work and being surrounded by interesting young people who tell me things and that I didn't know or position things and thinking in a in a way that I never thought of so I love that um and then equally I think yeah I mean I I I feel like yeah I've only just started there's way more things that. to be president Wait, of yeah <laughs> a, a tricky question do you mm. consider yourself successful do you think you've made it not yet <laughs> not yet still too much to do no, still so much to do we've we've got a couple more questions before we ask the big one around the advice I just wanted to go back to your letter and it's tied into I suppose the advice thing but but you mentioned something that was kind of fundamental to how you kind of your career progressed things and, and you mentioned the term kind of stay useful and I thought that was a really interesting mm. one that stuck out to me I think you, it was yourself as Same. well can you elaborate on that slightly about this premise of staying useful yeah be useful be useful sorry. well do you know what I feel like uh and I'm going to say this probably for, for hopefully the last time in my career but I've like bastardized something that, uh, that Obama said <laughs> Because he he said something years ago about what what he want you know he's got two two girls, and what he wanted his what values he wanted his children to grow up with, and particularly bearing in mind he I mean you know from one president to another I can kind of you know <laughs> empathise with his terrible di oh, dilemma of how do I bring it. But he said, I really want, I want them to be kind and be useful. And kindness and respect have been the two values, behaviours that I hope um, I've always inputted into any any business that I've run, any of the agencies that I've run. I think they're incredibly important. And if only everyone could be kind and be respectful, then the world would be a different place. But then equally, the, there is another thing that's important, that is be useful, do something useful. You know, when you, you think about what did I do today, and obviously everyone wants to do something fulfilling, but I don't think every day you can maybe do something fulfilling. I mean, I hope, you know, hope you can, but not necessarily. But being useful... Um, being needed by someone else or making yourself needed by someone else or doing something that for somebody else. I think that for me that all comes under useful and, you know, you'll be a better person for it and you can you can think about yourself as a better person for it. Do you know what? My, my grandparents brought me up when I was very little and they were devout Catholics. I'm, I'm not a practicing Catholic. But they were very much around being useful. And it's a very, it's actually, I feel, a quite modern interpretation of a very old Christian value really you know it's not just be useful to yourself but be useful to the world be useful to the people mm -hmm. around you so yeah does that, is that a deep enough question that proactive support and, mm -hmm. and help to others really is, yeah. is exactly what it is yeah. so then I mean the time has flown by it kind of brings us then to that was some advice to yourself almost but what's that what's that one piece of advice that's so good throughout your career that's helped you that you would like to share with others is this my is this my piece of this advice? Is, this is the big yeah, one. This is the, this the big is one about you know the world is run by people that 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 turn up, yeah. and I think that's an incredible sentence with incredible power, and something that a CEO told to me years ago, and I think occasionally I've said the world is run by people that get up, so you can change it. You know you can sort of be interchangeable with those depending on your life phase, mm -hmm. but the, you know the world is run by people that turn up. You can't have an opinion. You can't change things. You can't affect things. You can't move forward. You can't expect people to take you seriously if you're not there. And that, you know, and and, and you can use that 
um, piece of, of excellent advice and counsel when you think about, you know, in your day-to-day workplace, whether it's, oh, so-and-so just, you know, wasn't at the meeting, you know, don't, don't be there. Be, be, you know, turn up, have an opinion, but equally be present. You know, the world is run by people that turn up. I think that also for me thinks about being present in what you do and looking around you. And it's the thing that you need to be useful. But, um, but yeah, I think and then on a flippant level, I think it's like, yeah, just, 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 just you know, you've got to turn up. You've got to be part of it. You know, you could, if you want to affect change, you want to be in it to win it, whatever, then turn up, have a voice and, you know, get it done. Yeah, that's and that's really. so relevant to every stage of your career, right? Yeah. And even if you are, there's having a voice and, and an opinion. Yeah. Rosie, thank you so much. We could have carried on for hours, I think. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me and listening to my rambles. <laughs> when we talk about refreshingly honest conversations, I don't think you can get more refreshingly honest than that conversation with Rosie. She... Where do, where do you start with Rosie? Because she comes in here with a bundle of energy, more energy than me, and she can talk more than me. But it's unusual. The, I know, unusual. But <laughs> throughout the entirety, it's just she's entirely herself. And what you get is this honest account. And I think that is something that surprises a lot of people when you get to a level of president or CEO of a, of a global agency network. There is this layer of kind of front that you have to put on. But Rosie just don't. It's her. And that, that is exactly what you get. This very authentic, very human individual. And obviously we love her and she was brilliant. <laughs> but I, I loved I loved the way that she shared her journey and, and that path and the humble beginnings. Because I think a lot of people assume you have to go into certain agencies or certain roles or you have to start at these big jobs. And we've seen it ourselves through the Elevate mentoring sort of applications and the things we see, especially at the junior people um, junior levels of this expectation people have on themselves. Mm. And I love that, you know, Rosie cut out some ads in a newspaper, went down to the local office angels, who I remember actually going mm. for jobs with back in the day, and took on a PA and office admin job. And yes, that happened to be at Vans, but so often that is the, the foot in the doorway that leads to greatness. And she's taken a really interesting path through her career where she's gone for roles, rightly or wrongly, We'll talk about magpieing in a second. Um, but she's gone for those roles that spoke to her or were interesting to her. She wasn't too proud to say, you know what, I'm bored here. I want to try something new or actually I'm really comfortable here, but that job looks really shiny and I'm going to go for that. So she's pushed herself into new places mm. and been brave enough to take decisions that you wouldn't ordinarily. I mean, she talks about vans. People were there forever. She could have stayed forever, but she was brave and and she's made some impressive moves from client to agency and back again. And, yeah. you know, it's not a conventional path at all. And those those moves, and, and we talked about the magpie effect of moving for something shiny, but knowing that obviously through the conversation we want to to ask and hear about and get really deep in there to, to know the challenges, the successes and things like that. And some of those that she referred to and mentioned were those moves that perhaps were made for the right intent, but but didn't, you know, flourish or turn out to be the right thing. We both, all of us, I think, you know, could agree with the fact that actually there are more learning sometimes to take from those those moves or decisions. And we class it as mistakes and, and yeah, or failures. And, and it, it comes up time and time again. It's, it's learning from those and, and taking the best bits from them actually can be more valuable than doing it the right way. I always think my, my auntie, God bless her soul, used to say to me, you know, rainbows need rain and sunshine to form and distance to be appreciated. And I think sometimes, I know, I bless her. Lovely little sentiment. Bless Aunt Tina. She, um, but I, I think that's right because in the moment of anything, when you're dealing with a situation that hasn't gone in the way that you thought, you think you failed or you've made a mistake or that this will this will be it because you're in it. And it is that sort of pathway and sort of Rosie talked about it. Maybe now I can look back and I can mm. say that because I'm a bit older, but it is that distance where you can look back and go, I learned so much from that. Mm. And actually these are the things that I've put in place. I haven't gone for those sorts of roles since, or I ha- I've noticed those sorts of people or those sorts of clients or those sorts of briefs that I don't go to because you do... I think all of us, and I love that Rosie was so candid, like all of us have done things that you look back on and go, oh, I'm not sure I would mm. do that again. But we all appreciate the learnings that have come from them. And yeah. I think it's it's so refreshing to hear that because I think people will look at somebody in Rosie's position at this sort of president of Havas and think, well, that's been a gilded career and she's had yeah, everything right and that's yeah. all gone well and she's in those places. And to hear people like Rosie that's like, well, no, I've taken some missteps and I've learned yeah, from those definitely. things and she embraces those things and and, and and throughout and we talk obviously from a mentoring perspective but there are countless in, in her words not one single person but countless people yeah. that have helped and 
when we were talking earlier about it, about the need to kind of nurture these relationships and nurture this network in order to be able to lean or engage with these people when the moment comes where actually their expertise is something I need. And, and it links to the point that she made around being useful. And I love that sentiment that she had around being needed and, and, and showing up. So being useful, and she used a couple of ways to explain it, that if you're in the room, you know, have an opinion. And, and if, if you're if you're there, serve the purpose to an extent yeah. of being useful. And I also, I loved that that sentiment of still learning and growing and never feeling like you've got all the answers. And I love that when we sort of asked Rosie about, you know, what's next, she was like, oh my God, I've only just started. And this, I think there's this impression that life's meant to stop or start at certain ages, or you're meant to hit certain milestones at certain bits. And, you know, president of Havas Play, it doesn't get much bigger, but mm. she feels like it's only just beginning. And I love that she talked about that, but also the need to lean on her team, those mentors mm. and people that have helped and, and been those real sponsors of her at different points and that she still leans on them. And I, I love how casually yeah. <laughs> she talks about some of these people who some of the industry heavyweights and people yeah. that have, you know, not just been part of culture, but shaped culture. And she is definitely one of those people. And then combination in the piece of advice around showing up, right? About that, that whole premise of be in the room, attend it, you know, don't be passive in this, be active, yeah. show up across all parts and I think that's a really true sentiment and obviously something she's lived by that's that's worked and it's not just something for senior people it's like go along to those meetings learn have an opinion add value share your opinion because actually even as the most junior person in a mm. room you'll have something to yeah. add and I you know I love that sentiment that she shared I think it's you know with so many of our guests they've had such brilliant bits of advice and this is almost like a bible being created in the background of life advice yeah it is what and, a chat and it sticks with it. She also says yes, you know, say yes to things. So it all, all connects. Elevate operates thanks to the generosity of our partners and supporters. To find out more about them, you can check them out via our website, elevateme.co. Together, we're changing lives, careers, and the events industry for the better. This podcast was powered by Wonder, the independent specialist creative business to business and business to employee events agency. And a huge thanks goes to our producer and fellow team elevator, Pete Kerwood.